0: think about religions, we think about them as sort of beliefs, of rituals, of scriptures that perhaps give us meaning and purpose in life. But have we already considered that religion can also teach us how to be productive?
1: Salam and welcome to the Claritas Books podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Ali. If you suffer from procrastination and bad habits, then The Productive Muslim, Where Faith Meets Productivity, may be just the book for you. It's written by US-based speaker, author, and coach Muhammad Faris, whose pioneering coaching company has attracted over a million online followers. Muhammad's best-selling book helps urban, global Muslims live the best version of themselves, spiritually, physically, and socially. I'm delighted to be joined by Muhammad Faris, who will hopefully make us all a lot more productive by the end of this podcast. Muhammad, salaam, and thank you for letting us be part of your day today.
2: Wa alaykumussalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for having me. Honored to be here.
1: We're honored to have you and I love the book. It's it's practical, it's accessible, it contains lots of bite-sized guides and wisdom. And you say that it took you 2 years and 9 days to write it in the intro, but the story behind it started well before then. Could you tell us how it all began for you?
2: Absolutely. So it started in 2007 when I was doing my master's degree at the University of Bristol in the UK. And I was involved with Islamic society. I was also had two jobs and I felt overwhelmed. I felt really busy. I felt I couldn't balance it all. And I was thinking, you know, I'm just a student and I'm struggling to manage my time and to manage my different responsibilities. How would it be tomorrow when I got a job and family and kids? And that question led me to explore the science of productivity, the science of managing yourself and managing your time so that you can be more productive and effective. But as I was doing the research on that topic, a question popped in my head that just wouldn't leave me. The question was, where in our faith does it talk about productivity? And that question sort of led me to kind of almost look at the, the Quran, look at the seer of Rasulullah wasallam, look at the prophetic, you know, sayings and the hadith and really rethink and kind of put that productive lens on and trying to explore and, and take out gems from from there. And one of the early sort of prophetic sayings that got me into this whole idea of faith and productivity was the prophetic saying that said, fi bukuriha. I mean, may Allah put barakah for my ummah in the early hours. And, you know, for me who was researching productivity, every productivity book i was reading and every guru out there was telling you about wake up early wake up early there's something special in the early hours we don't know what it is but there's something about the early hours and here we have a prophetic saying that encourages us to tap into the early hours and make the most of the early hours and i start seeing that connection so in 2007 started this blog called productive muslim it's literally i remember waking up one morning in November and two words popped in my head, Productive Muslim. Those two words popped in my head. And I quickly came back after Fajr Prayer and booked the domain name. And I was really excited. I was like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm going to start writing and sharing about productivity and also about what Islam says about productivity. And that was 2007. And the book came out in 2016, January 2016. So you can see that journey where that from one idea of a blog and the question and kind of writing about over the years, how it just, you know, over the years led to the book, Alhamdulillah.
1: Alhamdulillah. And how has the response been to your book?
2: I was honoured to sort of see the feedback, the overwhelming feedback, which kind of caught me by surprise. I mean, I, I get calls from and emails from people. Last year I had this uh, CEO of a South African company reached out to me and said, I read your book in two weeks and here are the changes. And he listed in almost in detail the results that happened in his life as a result of reading the book and i've seen it again with working mothers i've seen it with professionals the the consistent response i'm getting is it's simple it's clear it's practical and it gives a understanding of productivity that's more holistic a lot of times productivity circle talk about productivity at work or productivity just in a certain domain and the approach we took was to think about productivity as this holistic approach to managing your energy, focus, and time across all your roles. And people felt like this was their life system that helped.
1: And those are the three areas that you suggest to people to focus on, that, that the energy, focus, and time.
2: Absolutely. I mean, if you think about you know, a lot of times when we think about the definition of productivity, we normally define it as output over input, right? The kind of classic factory definition mm-hmm. is how much output can I produce for the input that I have? And inputs can mean time, resources, money, that factory definition. I personally, again, I was pretty against because I felt like, you know, in today's knowledge work in a global economy, the way we work is pretty much with our, with our brains and our heads most of the time. And the question was, how do we define productivity in this modern age, and there are three elements. Is really think about a human being, and there's three things that three levers that we really define how productive it will be in a single day, or week, or year. Your energy levels. So if you're tired all the time, if you if you're sleepy, if you haven't had breakfast this morning, then you cannot be productive. The second one is focus. You can have all the energy in the world, you can be bouncing off the walls, but if you don't have focus, and you're always distracted and you know jumping tab to tab, then you cannot be productive. And also if you have energy and focus, so you have both, but for some reason you overwhelm the responsibilities and your time is split up between so many different activities, then also you cannot be productive. So unless you master these three levers of productivity, it's very hard to be productive. And I will say, if someone always comes up to me and says, Hamid, I'm struggling to be productive, I feel very lazy or feel, I don't know, I can't seem to be productive. I always kind of start by asking which of these three is struggling with the most. And that starts, that helps you diagnose yourself and then helps you to work on, you know, boosting your productivity based on where you are.
1: Right. Yeah, I think all three would be my issue. But um, you make a, an interesting point early on in the book when you look at the general notions of, of modern productivity and the and the history of Western civilization and how it all differs to Muslim productivity. Could you expand on that?
2: Yeah, this was an interesting part. As I was writing this book, that question really made me start to rethink this whole idea of what does it mean to be productive from a, from a Muslim perspective and how different it is. Because as, as I was doing my research, I realized there's some things we agree with, right? I mean, no, you know, we shouldn't waste time, try to be productive, do your best. But, but then it's almost like understanding the paradigm shift. And the, and the major, major difference is, number one, is moving away from productivity that's about, about yourself, you know, self-centered, egocentric productivity, where it's all about yourself, to more of a God-centered productivity or a purpose-driven productivity, as Muslims believing that our purpose in life is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's the central purpose that defines sort of every activity and role we do, that is a paradigm shift that unless you really acknowledge and really sort of see its impact, you know, it, 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 makes a, it makes a huge difference how you organize your energy, focus, and time. So being God-centered allows you to see, well, what are the rights and responsibilities upon me and how I can make sure I can fulfill them across my roles. The second major shift paradigm shift is this hereafter focus the idea that there is a hereafter and that that is also huge again imagine you know so if you go through life and you don't believe in a hereafter or that there I'll be held accountable for my deeds whether someone sees me or not i mean that just that that's a paradigm shift of thinking of understanding and i really recommend people to start to understand that the idea of hereafter is not just some some nice afterthought but if it's driven if everything we do we consciously think what how it manifests itself in the hereafter and how also, you know this this world is the harvest for the for, you know, is the is the gardening or the farm for the hereafter that can be very very powerful
1: now one person who's really benefited from the productive muslim philosophy is canada based hafsa dahir an instagram expert business coach and entrepreneur i caught
3: up with hafsa to hear more my name is hafsa dahir i have a membership called circle of impact It is a membership for creative uh, Muslim businesses to learn how to use Instagram marketing. And uh, we do more than Instagram marketing, but that's really what people come to me for, Instagram marketing. I'm also an ICF certified coach. So I coach one-on-one on on anything business related. So I'm a business coach in that sense as well. And what kind of tips do you give your followers? I started my my coaching service as an in Instagram marketing. And what I realized is there's so much more deeper than Instagram that we need help with. So what happens is we come in with concepts like I need to hustle more, I need to do more because could be cultural uh, programming, could be society, could be just our own self-worth associated with productivity. So can we come with a lot of these baggage, limited beliefs, oh, I can't succeed. Um, I need to hustle more. I need to beat competition. So what happens is instead of just me teaching Instagram, I will, I'm a very different kind of coach. I talk about doing less instead of doing more uh, more intentional action, right? And also I don't focus on a lot of Instagram 10K followers that as other business coaches might do out there. I am more all about, what kind of person are you becoming? What is the real purpose behind your business? I mean, as Muslims, our purpose is to meet Allah subhanahu wa Ta'ala in a state that he's pleased with us. So how does that business make it possible for us? So the kind of tips I give my followers are do less. Be intentional when you open Instagram, ask yourself why are you doing this? Um when you are holding yourself back from putting that product, think about the impact it can have. How many people can you bring joy to? You know, what is the purpose behind it? So the kind of the kind of teachings, the kind of trainings and the kind of coaching I do for my clients is all about mindset, it's all about doing less, being intentional, and uh and yeah, a lot of stuff that productive wisdom happens to talk about. <laughs> And when
1: did your journey with Productive Muslim begin?
3: I came across Productive Muslim in two thousand nine, two thousand ten ish. I was actually out of out of Canada for a little while, and a uh, friend posted a uh, a job posting about Productive Muslim. I got to watch Productive Muslim go from this Squarespace page to like a 100- hundred. A million followers on Facebook now. So that's how I was introduced to Productive Muslim when I worked for them in 2010 ish. I worked for them about five years. And and I think that's really inspired me even more because I watched them grow from like kind of like almost like this seed into this tree they are now today. Muhammad, I
1: I really love this concept about gardening. Um, and I saw in a presentation you gave you talking about the importance of planting a seed and how we're all gardeners. Could you tell me a little bit more about that?
2: Yes. It's it's again, whenever we talk about productivity, productivity is a lot of times about control, right? I want to control all my elements. And I want to control all my, you know, my, my, what I eat, how I drink. And sometimes there is a certain point where you need to let go. So the model that I, that I share with people, especially when it comes to goal setting, is, is to think yourself as a gardener. So as a gardener, there are certain decisions you have to make. For example, what seed or what plant you want to when plant. And you choose those seeds. And what I, I like the, 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 the metaphor of the seed here, which is just interesting because in Arabic, the word seed means Noah. And also, it's very close to the word niya, which is intention. Imagine you're approaching a project, approaching your to-do list instead of a to-do list, but intention list. Like, what well, these are my these are my intention. These are the seeds I'm planning to plant today or this week or this month. The second step after that is you start to go through a process. So a gardener will go through a process of you know plowing the land and putting the seeds and watering and making sure it's you know taking you know taking the weeds out. So approaching your work as a, that idea of being you know super efficient, but all the time. And to understand you go through seasons, for example, you know, if you have young children and you might, you have to almost adjust your productivity to kind of lean more and take care of your children. If you have elderly parents, you have to adjust your productivity to lean more and take care of your parents. And finally, is the fruit. I think if no gardener can guarantee the fruits they'll get, yes, they'll try hard, they'll work hard, but, you know, a, a, some weird frost comes over overnight and, you know, kills your fruit or some weird pest takes over. And being okay with that. And I think this is another thing, again, because a lot of people live in a world that where we're told that, you know, you are your destiny. And if you don't achieve a certain results, that means you are a loser. Versus, you know, this, I, this Islamic concept of saying, you do your part. You tie your camel. You do your part. You work hard. I'm not saying sit back and expect miracles, but you do your part. But then there's an element, that out, the outcome is not up to you. And being comfortable with that and being thankful, whatever the outcome is, knowing it's good for you. That's a whole different paradigm thinking about productivity, which I think sometimes can clash with our, our sort of our call the hustle culture kind of modern approach to productivity, which is about you know, being in control all the time.
1: It's intriguing to hear about this paradigm shift in how we understand productivity. So I asked Hufsa how she views the connection between the heart and productivity.
3: So when I did my coaching certification, I learned a lot about the NLP, the subconscious mind, and a lot about the law of attraction. Those were all confusing concepts in the beginning. Because as Muslims, they don't really align sometimes. And you're like thinking, how does this make sense? When I actually started hearing about concepts like the scarcity mindset, the uh, the abundance mindset from productive Muslim, he put it in the right context for me. And going back to the, the underlying, the limiting beliefs we have, I think they're all linked to the heart. I don't feel good enough. I don't feel deserving enough. And those really just uh, are, are show up in the way we act. So just like for me, Productive Muslim has been a breath of fresh air. I feel like everything I share is so different for uh, a business audience because they are so used to hearing make sure to tag 50 people in your post to get 100 followers overnight right so they're so used to hearing do more like spammy like just be out there in people's face and and all those tactics in order to grow your business grow their business and actually get 10k followers and i'm completely the opposite i'm just like show up genuinely show up because you want to make an impact how does this link back to the theme and i don't think there's anybody i mean um, I, am, I know I'm making a bold claim here. There's anybody out there that teaches Instagram from a Muslim perspective, from an Islamic perspective. So I, it's been a the of fresh air in the entire, for myself, like to actually learn and think about all these concepts because nobody's ever put it like this for uh, the business audience.
1: So it's kind of like halal Instagram. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Muhammad does all of that speak to your definition of baraka culture as opposed to hustle culture and can you also tell us what exactly is baraka culture
2: when i started sort of again researching how how we view productivity a lot of times we think that to be productive we got to go hustle right we got to hustle 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 and this hustling culture That that almost is promoted again by self-help gurus that they're like if you don't if you're not hustling enough then you you know then you'll be the new loser there's no excuses and and again it's it's very it's very work centric in fact there's a term for this now called workism where work has replaced religion for most people when it comes to finding their purpose when it comes to having a community when it comes to feeling even transcendence think about this the graduation speeches thing like follow your passion follow your dreams right work is where you kind of reach your self actualization and hence there's this whole drive to make work the centerpiece of our identity versus being god centered and the question is at what expense it is it is harming people right and especially in the startup world startup culture so the question was the alternative, because if you say, well, if you do not going to hustle, then how how are you supposed to be successful? And this is where we we propose the idea of a baraka culture, the idea that there is a way where it's a more God-centered, it's a more, more values-driven, hereafter-focused productivity, where it's not, I'm not saying sit back, relax, and expect miracles. It's you still work hard, but you're always measuring yourself saying, what, how does how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want me to live this life? How how am I how am I balancing across all my rules? And the the model is the model of Rasulullah, Prophet Muhammad, wa sallam, where if you notice his life, we did a whole article about his daily routine and how he used to live his life. It really mind-boggling. A man who changed the face of the earth in 23 years. And if you look at his daily routine from a hustle culture perspective, a productivity expert, like, he's too relaxed like what's going on is he's not he's not like rushing around and being busy and and going after like oh my god i have to be here you see him walking in the streets of medina and then being very calm and then little girl will come and tug at his shirt say so i want to show you something and he, and he would go with her and then they're like what like you know you, he's trying to save humanity like you don't have time to do this but <laughs> you see him do that but you, but you see this this almost like this this graceful way of being productive and this is what i call baraka culture which i hope becomes a, a, a paradigm shift in how we think about productivity that's more holistic that's more god-centered that's more about about impact and purpose more hereafter focus that's more content and not busy and more and more about responsible taking responsibility and more long-term and short out so these are some thoughts about the baraka versus hustle culture
1: there is a, a saying by the Caliph Ali, "May Allah be pleased with him," that you highlight in your book. And then it's live your life as if you'll live forever, and live for the hereafter as if you'll die tomorrow. Could you comment on that Muslim paradox in in the in the context of of productivity?
2: I I love that quote. It's so it's so inspiring to to read that because it just gives you perspective of how these incredible human beings thought, these companions and how they thought and how they perceived life. You know, live your life as if you live forever. So think about if you had all the time in the world and to do anything you want to do in your life, what would life look like? What would you plan? What would you do? What would you focus on? And then the second part is as if you'll die tomorrow, right? The idea that every time you sit down and watch Facebook or you binge on YouTube, you'd feel like, "Is is this the best use of my time? And again, I know some people might hear this and go, oh, here we go and get uncomfortable about that. But sometimes we really need to question our habits and routines and the stuff we focus on and saying that how can we optimize you know this is the best i could do in my in a a typical day i think that's something that's is powerful to think about so it's empowering it's inspiring and you know people some people think that oh that means i should just sit back and give up no it's it's actually a very empowering statement that makes us be ambitious think long term think like a gardener again you know think about fruits you want to grow but also recognize the fruits is not in your hand because you might die tomorrow
1: brilliant You've held workshops for people across the world. I think twenty five thousand, if you want to throw out a number. Um, what is the most common question that you get asked?
2: I guess the most. A lot of people people struggle with their habits and routines and and how how to manage it all know, Especially especially people who live through what I call the crunch of life. The crunch of life is usually in the thirties to their forties, sometimes fifties, where they have young children, they have old parents. They're working full-time. They're involved in the community activities. So it's almost like that crunch of adult life. And that crunch of life is where they struggle. Like, how can I balance it all? How can I you know, make the most of it all? It's, it's interesting where whether you travel east or west, whether you travel to developed or developing nations, it's, it's a similar question. So people struggle with similar things. Energy, focus, time, sleep. You know, the laziness, motivation, it's, it's almost the same questions. it's, it's and For me, it's inspiring, but also it's interesting to see that across the globe that we, we have these very common things. And my best one is someone says to me, oh, we don't understand how it works here, right? I'm like, yeah, sure, Let me give me a hear the question. And it's like, yep, I heard this question many times before as well.
1: <laughs> Universal procrastination. <laughs> oh, gosh,
2: that's a good one. Yeah, that's a big one as well. Procrastination. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my how do you overcome procrastination? And that's, uh, that's another big one.
1: Yes, please tell us.
2: <laughs> so my approach to, to procrastination, again, you can, there's lots of tips and techniques, but I always ask myself, why? What is it about this task am I procrastinating on? A lot of times I've noticed that sometimes we, we, we attach a lot of emotions to a task. For example, you might have a task on your, on your to-do list to call somebody. Yeah. But for some reason, you're procrastinating on for days. You're like, "Why am I procrastinating on this? What is about this task that's kind of almost creating this? My nafs is not feeling comfortable to do this. So it becomes almost a psychological exercise because you start to realize that maybe there's something underlying here. Could be lack of clarity. Could be um, there is emotional issues you to, to to deal with. So I will say that if you find yourself procrastinating, you use that's a great self-reflection opportunity and try to understand. What is exactly that says hold me back? And sometimes by answering that question, you might be, you might unlock a whole level of productivity for yourself.
1: So is it to do with psychology as well? How important is psychology when it comes to productivity?
2: Yeah, this is something recently that we started to think about. I've, I've been honored to work with Dr. Abdullah Rothman, who's almost the, I guess a world expert in Islamic psychology, or many papers and researchers on, on this in this field and um and just and just working with him and, and kind of trying to understand productivity from a islamic psycho-spiritual perspective we know we have these kind of all these characters within us there's the nafs right there's the self which is very you know in a self-centered which is very like a childlike almost then there's the heart which Imam Ghazali talks about as the king and we need to work on our heart then there's the aql which is the our intellect our mind and can kind of try to try and to be a good advisor Then there's all these players right there is the distractions of this world and there's the shaitan whispers and there's this angel, right? So, whenever you, sometimes when I do, when I do coaching, I actually, if someone's really struggling with something, I say, well, imagine these are characters in your life. What is each one of them are saying to you? And sometimes when they break it down, it's like, oh, yeah, my nephs is saying this, my heart is saying this, my mind is saying this, shaitan is saying this. And literally they go down the list and they're like, oh, wow, like I can see why I'm in such a quagmire because everyone's, everyone's trying to pull me in a different direction. And I really need to make a decision with the heart that's that's connected to Allah to move forward. So I would say definitely psychology has a huge impact on our productivity. And and this is a I'm excited because I feel in the next few years we might see more work done by you know people who are trained in Islamic psychology, which is again a completely different paradigm to Western psychology. Western psychology is very sort of reason-centric, mind-centric versus Islamic psychology, it's very heart-centric. I'm excited to see um some of the contributions that that we'll hear from from Muslim psychologists in this field, especially when it comes to performance and productivity and and being the best version of ourselves
1: and you've you've admitted that you are a self-confessed introvert, and you've even done a TEDx talk um on your passion about productivity. How did that go for you?
2: <laughs> yeah, those are interesting. Um, I remember, uh, I think, who was it Susan Cain, who wrote The Power of Quiet, uh, the book about introverts. There was a line there that I really loved. that said that sometimes, you know, as introverts, even though we don't want to stand in front of a crowd, but if something is so meaningful to us, you know, it's almost like every bone in our body, we just have to do it because it almost to feel, feel responsibility. So, yeah, the TEDx talk or the talk at the World Domination Summit or any of these major sort of, I would say, these uh, high stakes talk, the entire crowd was non-Muslims. Um, I think there's only four Muslims in the whole crowd.
0: And specifically today, I'm going to talk to you about a ritual that's been practiced for over 1400 years. And today, over a billion people practice it daily. And that is the Muslim prayer, the Salah. When you think about the Salah, it's a unique ritual. It has physical movement of standing, bowing, prostrating. It has ritual purification of washing yourself, washing your face, arms, and feet. It has chanting and praying. It has meditation, mindfulness.
2: Because... Alhamdulillah, I think that went really beyond my expectations. People were, after the talk, talking about, you know, Barakah, Sincere Intentions, tying your camel. They actually, like really love the concepts. Um, and again, you know, I thank you a lot for that opportunity. And also having the, a team and I had a great speech writer who actually helped me prepare my speech. So taking all the means possible and preparing as much as possible and then asking Allah for support and help and, and seeing inshallah ta'ala the barak of that.
1: And that. And that tying your camel concept, can you just expand on that a little bit more, please, for us?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's, it's, um, it's a simple, simple concept. It's, it's one day a, a, a Bedouin man went to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and said, Ya Rasulullah, should I tie my camel? Should I trust in God? A very simple question, right? Should I just, you know, but it's profoundly, you know, philosophical and prof- has profound implications. You know, the Prophet has said, nope, just tie your camel. And it would have been quiet. Or he would have said, no, just trust in God and don't tie a camel, which would have so different implications in terms of what it does mean to take the means and, and, and trust in Allah taala. But uh, the Prophet gave him, he said, no, tie your camel and trust in God. And I think this idea of tying your camel and trusting God is very powerful when it comes to people's, you know, we live in this world where people think that, oh, we have two extremes. Those who will just say, I'm going to focus on, on all, the, all the hard work, push myself, do everything I need to do. And they don't take the time to ask God's permission, ask Allah's permission, really pray, oh, Allah, help me do this. The other extreme where people just pray and expect miracles and they don't, don't put zero effort. You know, they're trying to get married or they're trying to get a job or try to start a business and you don't see them taking the means. You don't, they don't actually even work towards it. They just expect something to fall in their laps and they think expect that they are, um, you know that, that something would happen without sort of them putting the effort. Now again, I'm not denying the possibility. That's one of the things we cannot deny the possibility of something happen without you even working hard for it. There is that element, of course, in in Islamic spirituality. But that you know that's not a rule to live by, right? You know, that's not a rule to live by. You know, and so that's, that's why I say that yes, there is an element sometimes sustenance. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala can give without even you asking. But the general rule, and this is what general trust to live by is you gotta tie your camel, you gotta put your effort, tie, your work, work hard, and put that trust. And, and if and Allah is generous, He sometimes gives without even asking, somebody gives you more than you ask for. So, so that's a, a rule of flip life. life uh, tie your camel and trust in Allah.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for explaining that. So, Muhammad Faris, author of Productive Muslim, founder of productivemuslim.com, have you ever been unproductive?
2: Oh, yeah, all the time. (laughs) 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 Confessions of a productive Muslim. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's um, One thing that I've learned over the years is to be conscious of my energy levels. And sometimes I go through stretches. I might have like a good stretch of 10 weeks, 10 days, or two weeks, or three weeks. And then I I get to a point where I feel like, huh, I'm actually not able to maintain that. And that's when I start, again, That's self-awareness. So I'll take a break. So, I'll say that being productive is to know when not to be productive. And again, we find that in the life of Rasulullah. You know, Aisha has a beautiful saying. She says, You know, some nights I see the Prophet pray the whole night and I think, did he have a sleep? And some nights I see him not pray the whole night and I think, did he actually get up and pray? So, the fact that she's seeing the range of activity, right, that's part of being human. The number one question I also get is how to be consistent now ask people what do you mean by consistency if it if it means being consistent is like being a machine where you just keep even machines break down but you know be doing the same thing over and over and over again for a lifetime then i, I tell you, you cannot i can't you cannot achieve that and treating yourself like to say the child i like this idea of a child where you need love and discipline to to raise a child sometimes you need to give your child a bit of love and say you know what all right yeah, take a, take a day off, take a few days off and just, just relax. And somebody needs a bit of discipline. So, all right, come on, you need to get back on track. And being able to be spiritually intelligent enough to make these decisions of when to go full speed, when to slack and how to go about it, that that's that's part of the, you know, I guess that's part of the skill of being productive a holistic way as well.
1: I wanted to ask Hafsa what for her is the biggest lesson she's taken away from Productive Muslim.
3: Hustling doesn't take you as far as the society as the world promises you. Hustling is not the answer. I mean, that is like just mind-blowing for the first time when you think about it because... We have been taught in order to be um, a success, you have to work and work and work hard. And what happens is you're exhausted, you can't think straight anymore, you are just working from the edge of your seat. And the biggest, I think one of the biggest reflections that I've taken from Productive Muslim is slowing down. It's the opposite of hustle, right? Maybe this is like tip one was uh, the first breakthrough from Productive Muslim was slowing down and tip two is all about being conscious and being intentional with what we do, because this is kind of like how you turn everything you do into becoming becoming a worship. I am doing this to please Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. I am doing this to gain nearness near, to Him. So, I think the intention is tip the other mind blowing thing that completely switched the way I did I do things from productive Muslim. So, what happens is a lot of times we feel like I put up put out this promotion should equal ten thousand sales. I did my work should equal the end result that I'm going for. But what we really forget is that there's Allah's will in the equation as well. So the outcome is really not in, in, in your hands. But to be able to say whatever the outcome is, it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever the outcome is, I will accept it with all my heart because the outcome doesn't define me, the outcome doesn't define my capabilities, the outcome doesn't define who I am as a person. The outcome is in Allah's hand and it is His will what happens. That's why intention is so important. That's why cleaning your heart because you are only responsible for your actions. You are not going to be asked for the results because the results are never in your hand. But it's really tie the camel, not strangle the camel. I am a camel strangler. (laughs) I, I kill my camels. I'm like, I need to tie this. I need to make sure this works. But guess what? Allah's only asked us to do the best we can because He doesn't burden a soul more than it it can bear. So I I think I needed to learn how to detach from the outcome and be like, hey, you know what? I did the work. I let go now. That's where my responsibility ends.
1: I haven't heard the expression a camel strangler before. That's really quite vivid. Yeah, that is hilarious. Be a camel tire, not a camel yeah. strangler. I need to. I need to trademark it. <laughs> you got it. You've got to trademark it. Absolutely, copyright it. Um, so really, productivity seems to be about letting go as well.
3: Productivity is about letting go, doing less, being still,
1: <laughs> and not strangling again. <laughs> And Muhammad, what is the overarching factor or that magic ingredient to being productive?
2: I come, I come down to that that statement of Sheikh Abdul Bayya that I learned from him in two thousand and seven. So I was two thousand and seven. I was, I was um, a friend and I went to see Sheikh Abdul Baeiyah, who is a well-renowned scholar, and we went to his house and we sat, you know, in his, his living room and and they served us some Mauritanian tea. And if you ever try Mauritanian tea, it's basically half a cup of tea and a full glass of sugar. I mean, it's like, you know, blastings, you know, the, the sugar is incredible. And then we asked him for advice, so the Sheikh and Shaykh had give us advice. And he sat quiet for a while. And he said, Ahsan inni wa'amal. You know, he said, have sincere intentions, have good intentions, and work hard. And I feel like that's the overarching theme. Because if you're sincere, if you really are sincere, if you really, really want to do something, and not sincere just in the sense of wanting to do something, but sincere for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like you have that you reach the highest level of intentions. You know, if you talk about levels of intentions, the highest intentions is to do something purely for Allah's pleasure, nothing to do with you. Then that, that's your internal dynamo that will keep you going and help you be productive. If you're not sincere, if, if your intention is not at the high level, then you always find excuses to not do something. So, you know, don't expect miracles. You just got to put the work in. But hopefully that sincerity will drive you to be able to put the work in and stay productive across all areas of your life, inshallah.
1: Sincerity and hard work. That sounds like a, a winning combination. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Mahmoud Faris, uh, for your time. It has been such a pleasure and so fascinating as well. So thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you. Thank you.
0: So, can religion teach us productivity? The answer is yes. But we need to stop thinking about religion as simply cultural heritage, but divine wisdom that is there to help us live our modern lives. Thank you very much. I've been your
1: host Ramona Ali. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe. And you can explore more works at www.claritasbooks.com.